what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. This episode of The Caregiver Community is sponsored by Pace at Home. During this uncertain time, Pace at Home is enrolling participants who wish to continue to remain at home. Partnering with families, Pace at Home provides caring medical support for all of our program's participants. Visit us on our website or give us a call at 828-468-3980 to talk with a representative that can discuss with you the Pace at Home all-inclusive medical approach. Pace at Home is the champion for seniors wishing to remain in their community. Welcome to the Caregiver Community. This is a place where we talk about the joys and the challenges of caring for our aging parents, as well as caring for ourselves. I am Frances Hall, founder and executive director of ACAP Community, Adult Children of Aging Parents. There are now, <clears throat> there are now an estimated 20 million adult children in the United States and many more millions worldwide who are caring for aging parents and are concerned about their own life as they age. In this podcast, we are talking about isolation and social engagement among older adults. I am joined by Dr. Cheryl Greenberg and Mr. Bruce Reynolds, experienced professionals in the aging industry who also were or are caregivers for their parents. Cheryl is a life coach for seniors and their families at The Age Coach. With her guidance and support, Clients who are dealing with health issues, including dementias, learn about physical and cognitive changes, effective caregiving, and ways to navigate the feelings that arise with these illnesses. Cheryl's doctorate focused on adult development and memory improvement for older adults. She currently presents and writes about healthy paths for older adults and volunteers for organizations that support seniors, such as ACAP, the Alzheimer's Association, Triad Retirement Living Association, and AARP. Hi, Cheryl. Thank you for being here today. Hi, Francis. Glad to be here. <laughs> Bruce McReynolds is the owner and executive director of the Guilford County franchise of Griswold Home Care. One of the, and Griswold is one of the oldest home care companies in the United States. He also serves as president of the Triad Retirement Living Association, an organization of 150 organizations that provide vital services to older adults in the Triad area in North Carolina. In addition, he is the co-chapter coordinator for ACAP Guilford County. Bruce understands firsthand through his clients as well as through assisting his own parents who are now in their 80s, the many challenges that loved ones may experience as they age. Hi, Bruce. I'm glad you're part of this conversation also. Hi, Francis. It's a pleasure to be with you today. Thanks. Okay, full disclosure. Both Cheryl and Bruce are key members of the ACAP Guilford County Leadership Team, so I have the true pleasure of knowing and working with both of them through ACAP. So, Cheryl and Bruce, we continually hear about how important it is to stay active and engaged as we age. We also hear about how detrimental isolation can be for older adults. Often caregivers struggle with how to help their older loved ones stay engaged, considering health issues and other circumstances. COVID has made all this particularly challenging, and isolation among older adults has become a huge topic. 
So Cheryl, start us off, please. We hear a lot about isolation and loneliness and its negative impact on older adults in particular. Are isolation and loneliness the same? That's a great place for us to start, Francis, because I think we are often not clear about the differences between social isolation and loneliness. When we think about isolation, it's helpful to think about a physical separation from other people, being alone, not having contact with others, maybe not being able to get to places where we can take part in work, hobbies, faith activities, and such. It's important to remember, though, that being isolated, being alone, does not necessarily mean that a person feels lonely. Loneliness is not physical separation from other people. It is a feeling, a lack of other people, feeling sad, dissatisfied, even disgruntled about being isolated. The amount of time an individual is alone and feels lonely varies from person to person. Some people can be alone for long periods of time and not feel lonely. Others need much more contact in order to avoid being lonely. So that's all to say the amount of alone time that leads to loneliness is different for each individual. So so you can't just look at the person's um, contact with people and gauge whether they are lonely or feeling isolated or not. Absolutely not. Let me, let me explain this a little bit different way. Isolation is usually thought of as being physically distant from other people. However, it's certainly possible for isolation to be psychological. Clearly, if a person lives alone, doesn't have visitors often, or venture out to see others, their isolation is physical. We often see this in rural communities where there's not enough transportation. However, it happens everywhere, in the middle of busy cities, in the friendliest suburban neighborhoods, and in retirement communities. A person may be limited to their home or room for one reason or another and be isolated and feel lonely. However, people may be physically with others, but still isolated. We know people, for example, who live with others and still feel lonely. This happens when a couple or family is living together, but not communicating or sharing activities. This also happens in communal living, uh, such as retirement communities, when a person doesn't feel comfortable with the group or is reluctant to form friendships. So physical isolation, separation from others can cause loneliness, depending on how much need a person has for contact. But psychological isolation can also lead to loneliness. That, that reminds me of that old saying, something about the loneliest place to be is in the middle of the crowd. Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. or can be. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, some of us are observers and that's just fine. But right. for most of us, uh, and, uh, you know, it can be problematic even if you're with other people. Let's talk for a minute about what the sources of isolation are. Let's see if we can point those out a little bit. Uh, you know, we often think that older adults are by nature more reclusive than they were as young or middle-aged people. And this is a myth. Sure, some people make a decision to become less, less social than they were when they were younger for a variety of reasons. However, if we're being social scientists and we're looking at the data, we know that most people do not change their personalities, including their level of need for other people as they get older. If you remember Jack Lemmon and Walter, Walter Matthau in the movie Grumpy Old Men, oh, yeah. you get the whole picture, right? Yep, yep. 
They played out the image of miserable old men, but in fact, they liked to be with people, they loved to be helpful, and they loved to love. They both wanted plenty of non-lonely time with Anne Margaret, didn't they? (laughs) Oh my goodness, we're walking down memory lane now, remembering that movie. (laughs) We are. So it's much more common that, uh, that rather than withdrawing voluntarily or being isolated voluntarily as people get older, something causes them to become more isolated. These are the kinds of things that we as, as care providers, as family members, can look at. I can't go through all of them, but here's some examples. Changes in hearing. This is, goes to Francis's point about being lonely in a crowd. If you can't hear hear well, you can't carry on a conversation very well. There may be people all around you talking, having a good time, maybe arguing. You don't hear it. You feel isolated in that group. People's vision normally changes as they get older. If it's not corrected, then people may not be able to drive to go to places where their friends are gathering. They may not be able to read a book for the book group, and the book group was a social activity. So again, hearing and um, vision, we don't think about it but often, but they actually can isolate people. Changes in mobility. A person who's having trouble walking or getting into and out of a car, again, has trouble going places, participating in sports with other people, even taking that friendly neighborhood walk where you chat with other people and just feel connected. Uh, just a couple more examples, sadness and depression. You know, it's just normal that as we get older, we have more losses, more deaths among people we love. Uh, sometimes family members and friends move away. Maybe we move to a retirement community or another home and we have to adjust. All of those changes can cause uh, depression or sadness. By definition, depression means we're isolating ourselves. People don't normally reach out for other people when they're feeling sad. Two more things to think about. One is really nitty-gritty stuff, finances. It's just not unusual for people as they get older. um, Let me say it this way. It often happens that as people get older, they have more limited disposable income. (laughs) You know, you need money to invite people to dinner or to go out to dinner with people can't do that, you may be more isolated. And of course, that's just one example of where finances have an impact. And here's one, and I'm going to tell you up front, it's sensitive for me to say this, but sometimes we family caregivers are the source of the isolation. We are. Mm, We need to unpack that one. Yep, I'm going to do that for you. First of all, um, sometimes we don't notice. So here's what it looks like. Um, I call mama on the phone and I say, hey, mama, I say, you know, how are you doing today? And she says, oh, I am just fine. But actually, she hasn't seen anybody for two or three weeks. She just doesn't want to tell you she's feeling lonely and bored. You said you take her at her word. You haven't really noticed. You didn't do that intentionally, but you didn't investigate. Was she really okay? The other thing is that sometimes out of an abundance of caring and protect, we are overly protective. So sometimes we discourage our folks from getting in that car again and going to see folks at somebody's house because you don't, or taking a trip because we're not sure it's really safe for them. It makes sense. We're being caring. But the other side is that is we're increasing isolation. 
It's a delicate balance, isn't it? You know, Cheryl, what you've just said, I keep thinking, man, I wish I had had some of this information when I when my mother was alive and when when I was her primary caregiver, um, because it's just this framework that that is just so important to understand that balance of of keeping loved ones safe, but at the same time helping them doing what we can to facilitate their being involved and engaged. Absolutely. Yeah. I've gone on a long way with this answer, but let me make one more point. Just saying that people are are isolated and maybe lonely and therefore unhappy is important. But we have to remember also that the research is now showing us that loneliness is not just about being satisfied or dissatisfied. Isolation and loneliness can have a direct impact on a person's physical and cognitive health. That is how they think, how well they can remember. Researchers find that people who describe themselves as lonely have higher rates of illnesses, including dementias, and have higher death rates. So without going into detail, let me just give you three quick examples. People who are lonely have higher rates of cardiovascular disease. That leads to strokes and heart attacks. People who say they're lonely have higher, have less efficient immune system. They're more vulnerable to contracting a disease like one of these viruses that are floating around today. And lonely people are more likely to develop Alzheimer's disease or other dementias. So I'm not trying to be an alarmist, but I do want to point out that helping people limit their loneliness is not just kind, but it's important to their health. That's a really good framework for for the rest of this. That's that's a great foundation. Thank you, Cheryl, for all of that great information. Um, Bruce, we talk about the issue of isolation more now because of the pandemic, but did the pandemic just highlight the broader issue that's been here all along um, among the older population? In other words, possibly. Did younger people, say we adult children, have to experience isolation before really being able to understand its impact? That's a great question, Francis. Um, and thank you for asking that. I, I think most of us would agree that loneliness and social isolation among older adults has long been a significant issue for many years. Human beings are, are fundamentally social animals. Uh, individuals depended for their lives on strong bonds with a tightly knit social group. Um, this is why prisons use um, solitary confinement uh, as a discipline, and infants who are left alone fail to thrive. High-quality social connections are essential for our mental and physical health and well-being, as Cheryl just pointed out. But until recently, however, um, social isolation and loneliness, including isolation of older adults, were neglected as social determinants of health. Um, Before modern times, very few humans, human beings lived alone. Slowly, beginning not much more than a century ago, that changed. In the United States uh, today, more than um, one in four people now live alone. In some parts of the country, especially in larger cities, that percentage is much higher. You can live alone without being lonely, and you can be lonely without living alone. But the two are closely tied together, which makes 
lockdowns and sheltering in place um, that much harder to bear. Um, interestingly, in 2017, our U.S. Surgeon General um, declared that we have an epidemic of loneliness. Uh, in 2018, in the United Kingdom, um, they appointed a minister of loneliness. So yes, I would say that the pandemic has highlighted the broader issue of loneliness and isolation, which has been brewing with us for over a century. And yes, the pandemic has intensified the root causes of loneliness and isolation. I would also agree that as a broader group of our population, um, including us as adult children caring for aging parents, um, we are now impacted by social isolation in its many forms. We are better able to relate to what our parents and older adults in general may have experienced for two or three generations, albeit to a lesser degree. Um, certainly, uh, the pandemic has intensified the degree of social isolation and loneliness over the past couple years. You know, there was a, um, a pretty extensive um, multinational study um, which involved over 23,609 respondents. So it was a pretty big survey. It involved respondents from over 100 different countries, which looked at the impact that the pandemic um, has on loneliness and social isolation. The study found that um, of those 23,000 respondents, 21% um, of them identified with severe loneliness and isolation. And this was wow. a measurement wow. during the pandemic. 21%. 21%? Wow. Absolutely. But the, um, that is compared to what the study identified as a pre-pandemic um, rating of 6% of the respondents prior to the pandemic identified as having severe loneliness or isolation. 43% um, of all respondents reported uh, moderate to severe levels of isolation and loneliness. 13% of the group um, said that there has been a substantial increase in their feelings of isolation during this pandemic. So the report also identified that both in pre-pandemic and during the pandemic, those individuals at greater odds of moderate to severe loneliness had some overarching issues or, or concerns. Some of the, the four issues that really um, seem consistent with a majority of the respondents who identified as being isolated or feeling lonely were those um, who had uh, financial, where the financial resources did not meet their needs. It was those with poor physical or mental health and those who did not rate their neighborhood as close-knit or perhaps were living in their neighborhood for less than four years. Um, and those living alone, um, but not by choice. Those seem to be the overarching issues that um, 
were drivers of these feelings of loneliness and isolation. So in, in line with, yes, go ahead. I'm sorry. I, I was just thinking, as you were saying that, I, you know, what keeps going through my mind is just, boy, talk about, and I'm putting this in quotes, the gift that keeps on giving, the, that the pandemic, that COVID is affecting us in so many ways. And this whole, this whole idea of loneliness and isolation and all of the fallout from that, how, you know, we don't hear that much about that. So thank yeah. you. Thank you for bringing that out. Um, something else that um, we learned through this study, which really fell in line with other studies that have been done, is that those who consider themselves as caregivers were at increased risk of loneliness and increased isolation during this pandemic. This would indicate that there was a deficit in social connections during the pandemic which these caregivers um, experienced that were not filled by the connection of being a caregiver. So in other words, um, their interaction with parents or others whom they were caring for didn't in and of itself satisfy their need for connectedness. But getting back to your question, um, you know, I, I think that any time that we have a shared experience, in this case, it's the shared um, stresses associated with the pandemic, it helps us to understand and empathize with what our parents may have been experiencing, but on a more long-term basis. Yeah, good, good information. Good information. Yeah, what are you know? We we talk about. Um, we talk about isolation, we talk about loneliness, and, and to some degree we can see that. But what are some, some kind of common signs that a parent or a loved one may be negatively affected by being isolated? I mean, you can be, as you both have, have described, you can be alone but not necessarily lonely or isolated. It's when it moves into that realm of being loneliness, lonely and isolated, that's when we start getting into trouble or that's when there begin to be some problems. So what are some signs that we can look for or be aware of. Yeah. As I was listening to, to um, Cheryl earlier, I was checking some things off the list from our, um, our family Thanksgiving visits. And, um, <clears throat> you know, the, I was sitting across the, the dining room table from my brother just two feet away asking, you know, asking some questions, and I would get a stare back. And it, it really seemed as he was not engaged in the conversation. Um, when in fact, um, he recently has, has become very hard of hearing. And so he was just not engaged in the conversation because of lack of hearing. Um, and certainly I, you know, I hear stories, um, from my mother of, of missing her, her long-term friend, um, that she had in another state where she moved from. And so, um, I guess my point is that, um, you know, some of these issues may not necessarily be um, consistent with loneliness or isolation. They may be very short-term or intermittent situations. But short-term bouts of loneliness can occur to truly all of us at some point in our lives. Um, these types of feelings are typically brief and not considered chronic. 
However, when feelings of loneliness and isolation worsen and continue long-term, there may be more serious signs and symptoms to be aware of and steps that we can take to, to deal with this chronic loneliness. Um, you know, one of the first questions I think we ought to ask when kind of assessing um, whether there are chronic conditions of loneliness in a parent is, you know, are our parents introverts? Are they extroverts? Um, there was a theologian, Paul Tillich, who wrote that, that, you know, language has created the word loneliness to express the pain of being alone. Um, but it also created the word solitude to express the glory of being alone. And so extroverts tend to feel energized by being around other people, by definition. So they'll find being alone much more difficult, even painful at times. Whereas introverts tend to feel drained by too much social isolation, withdrawing from some, um, for some solitude helps them to feel refreshed um, in their mind and spirit and kind of replenishing their energy reserves. So it's really important to recognize if our parent or our loved one is an extrovert or an introvert. Do they typically need alone time to recharge their batteries or to get away from too much social stimulation? Or is this withdrawal unusual for them? You know, also we need to look at ourselves. Are we introverts or extroverts? Uh, if we're an extrovert, it's natural to assume that our loved one would want that interact to interact with people as much as we do. Uh, pushing them to be more social may not be what they need at all. So how do we know if, um, if even your introverted parent or loved one should be spending more time with others? Well, chronic loneliness uh, symptoms and signs can differ depending on who you are and your situation. If you consistently feel uh, some or all of some of the following things, you may be dealing with chronic loneliness. So some of these uh, symptoms may be an inability to connect with others on a deeper, more intimate level. Maybe you have friends or uh, family in your life but engagement with them is at a very surface level. Your interaction doesn't feel connected in any way that is fulfilling, and this disconnection never seems to end. Perhaps um, you know, the individual has no close or best friends. Um, you have friends, but they are casual friends or acquaintances, um, and you feel like you can find no one who truly gets you. Um, there may be an overwhelming feeling of isolation, regardless of where you are and who's around. Uh, you can be at a party, as you mentioned, um, surrounded by dozens of people, and yet you still feel isolated, separate, or, or disengaged um, from the group. At work, you may feel alienated and alone, um, the same on a bus or a train or walking down a, a busy street. It's as if... Um, you're in your own unbreakable bubble, so to speak. Uh, the individual may have negative feelings or self-doubt or self-worth. Um, does it feel like you're always less than enough? These feelings, if long-term, are another possible symptom of chronic loneliness. 
when you try to connect or reach out, is it not reciprocated or um, you're not seen or heard? And, um, you know, I think that's a common common need of each of us is to be um, seen and heard. So I, I think that can certainly um, be fun. Um, is there exhaustion and burnout when trying to engage socially? Um, if you're dealing with chronic loneliness, trying to engage and be uh, social with others can leave you feeling pretty exhausted. There's a uh, uh, interesting list um, on AARP Foundation's site that gives us some additional um, symptoms or things to look for in our loved one that might point to um, loneliness or isolation. A deep boredom, a general lack of interest, and withdrawal. And I see this so often in the homes that we go into where um, the, the parent is kind of gravitated to um, having the TV as their constant companion. How often do, do we see that? Um, we should be looking for feelings of depression and anxiety. Perhaps it's aggressive uh, behavior or even passive attitude. Uh, losing interest in personal hygiene. Again, this is something that we see so often um, with in older adults that are experiencing loneliness. Uh, poor self-care and self-neglect. Poor eating and nutrition, and nutrition, which kind of goes hand in hand with that self-neglect. Uh, sleeping patterns could be disrupted um, and not being able to sleep. Uh, significant despair, clutter, hoarding in the home. Um, now, if someone's been a, a lifelong hoarder, maybe this wouldn't be an indicator. Um, but if it's something recent, um, the change behavior, then that's something to certainly be on the lookout for. Um, as Cheryl mentioned, cognitive decline could certainly be an indicator uh, of uh, isolation as well. So um, again, the question is, are these issues elevated beyond your parents' normal behaviors or baseline? So is this the way they used to be or something that has been a more recent change. You know, Francis, there's some um, some great tools out there that that we lay people can use to help to a more um, a better assessment of loneliness and isolation. And I'll point to one. There are several out there, um, but I think one that's often used by uh, by folks is the UCLA Loneliness Scale. Um, and this is um, a set of 20 questions. Um, and we'll, we'd rate it as a, a, a never happens or rarely happens sometimes or always. So it's a very easy um, assessment to use as a family member. And I'm just gonna point out just a few of the, the um, 20 questions. But last things like, how often do you feel unhappy uh, doing so many things alone? How often do you have no one to talk to? How often do you feel you can't tolerate being alone? How often do you feel as if no one understands you? So those are the types of questions that um, are on the assessment. And um, I think um, it's very helpful to kind of um, get a feel for that on a more, um, I'll say, scientific um, basis. One piece of advice that I would have for all of us is that 
um, start by gently nudging um, our parents in the conversation in a more positive direction. So um, talk with them about their friendships and their relationships uh, that they've had in the past and, and show her that um, she's capable of creating you know, new relationships. Um, maybe talk with them about how much they mean to us and kind of boost their self-esteem by reminding them of uh, how much they've accomplished. But then I think, you know, to your point, Francis, is, is we need to, to listen to that conversation, uncover the reasons that they're not seeing friends or that they feel disconnected. Um, go for a walk or have a casual meal and listen to what's on their mind. You know, um, you know, as I mentioned with conversations with my own mother, you know, do they bring up comments about not being able to or missing the, the friend that they haven't talked with, you know, um, anymore or the folks that are, you know, maybe have passed away? Um, you know, use those conversations to arrange opportunities to reconnect with, with some of their friends. But I think we, we don't want to bombard them with questions, um, but practice active listening. Um, and then reflect on what, what we hear back from our parents. You know, there's no reason to judge or to come up with solutions just now, but just listen. And then I think this, the second step to kind of easing into this um, is after we've listened is to enable. Um, once you know the reasons why, uh, you'll be in a better position to figure out the what to do's in the house. Um, so you know, take her somewhere where, where, um, you know, your mother wants to go arrange a visit with a friend that she's been missing. Um, maybe help to arrange a group activity that she's excited about. Um, it doesn't take much to start the ball rolling. Um, a couple of things that, you know, when, you know, I mentioned that my parents have a couple years ago, we moved, moved from Indiana to, to Greensboro, uh, just around the corner from us, actually. And so, um, you know, some things that, that we did to kind of help begin to integrate them into a new social network, um, we, we installed a new free library in their front yard, hoping that neighbors would drop by for a free book. And that would cause a situation where mom could interact with the neighbor picking up the book. You know, we, um, you know, mom has been very active and, and she um, would always notice her neighbor walking by on her morning stroll. And so, you know, we really encouraged her to, once she learned the, the pattern there, is to go out the next day about the same time her neighbor was walking by and asked to join in um, for her walk. Um, we got them a golf cart so that they could more accessibly tool through the neighborhood and stop by for, for neighborhood chats. So enabling our parents to um, overcome some of their, um, their concerns um, is one way to ease into this. Um, so there are some other resources that, um, you know, I, I just like to talk about a little bit, you know, um, keeping in mind that every community will be different. Every person's situation and needs are different and will change over time. 
Um, each person's level of independence will change over time. So there's really not a, a one-size-fits-all remedy to engaging um, our parents or older adults um, in the community. And so this is where we as adult children need to discuss with our parents their interest and needs. And they have to be actively involved um, as an active participant uh, in this plan. So, you know, as I mentioned, my parents moved to Greensboro two years ago from an 80-acre farm in Indiana. So the resources available where they lived, um, 20 miles from the nearest city, are much different than where they live today here in Greensboro. And yet my parents had a really an established social network that they had been part of for over 40 years. So taking care and maintaining the, this farm um, provided them with much of my parents' purpose. Um, but moving to North Carolina with no established social network and increased health concerns, the source of engagement has changed. So, um, so we have to take that in consideration. Kind of what 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 was our our parents' purpose at some at, at the point that they were highly engaged versus maybe where they are today. So, just a, a couple suggestions and resources that that I wanted to share. Um, for developing a plan for engaging our parents. Um, every community has a senior center and most um, will offer group activities either at the center, they may offer activities virtually, or even offer um, day trips and adventures um, out of town. So our local community center here in Greensboro, um, they offer really a, a wide range of um, of programs to really fit any interest, whether it's educational activities, hands-on activities, exercise classes, even on-site or virtually, and a lot of resources to help with technology. So um, check out the, the senior center, the community center in your area and see what programs they have to offer. I think one of the best resources that an older adult can um, can take advantage of is faith-based groups or churches. Um, these come with a ready-made um, connections. Um, they have like-minded individuals there that they can interact with. But many um, congregations provide a lot of activities um, for all age groups. And most of them have outreach programs, uh, folks that will uh, visit families in their homes and help out with specific um, needs or concerns in the home. Um, we have an organization in this area um, called the Shepherd Center. They help with education topics and technology topics. I think uh, Cheryl's participated in many of their educational programs in the past. Um, so if you're looking for um, really a wide range of topics, whether it's learning about other countries or other cultures and so forth, or learning about technology in general, there may be some 
organizations in your area to seek out. We have a lot of creative uh, individuals in the area, and, and um, one of the organizations, Creative Aging Network here in Greensboro, really addresses um, older adults who want to stay engaged with creativity and the arts. And so that might be a type of group in your area to look for. Isol uh, socialization, in a way, is the flip side of isolation, isn't it? It's just as important to talk about socialization as it is to talk about isol isolation. Absolutely. To look at the positive side. So let me do that for just a minute and, and bring that perspective. For most people, socializing just feels good. We have a sense of well-being and satisfaction when we spend time with people we like and care about. It's interesting, though, that recently scientists have found that people need social interactions not just to be happy, but also to be healthy. Uh, in fact, I used to give talks a long, long time ago, maybe a year ago, where I said the most important thing you can do to stay healthy cognitively and physically is to exercise. But the research is indicating that that's important but not the most important thing. I'll tell you a short story. A researcher named Susan Pinker noticed that there are an extraordinary number. Uh, well, no, she noticed that there are a number of communities in the world, they're called blue zones, that have an unusual or extraordinary number of people who live to be 100 years old or older. And as any good social scientist, she wanted to know why. So she and her team went to Villa Grande in Sardinia, one of the Blue Zones, to study the community. She kept records about the villagers' food, exercise, sleeping habits, and so forth, and she visited them in their homes. After she analyzed her data, she reported that it was not the Mediterranean diet, not exercise, as I said, nor the amount of alcohol use or sleep that was the most important, what was most important, according to her data, was that these folks socialized regularly. Dr. Pinker said that the elders in the community had, and this is important to think about, both for providers and for, their, their, uh, for family members, care providers, and for the older adults. The elders in the community had two to four people with whom they were extremely close. The kinds of friends who, if there were a blizzard and you didn't have any milk, You'd put on your boots and walk to the food store and back to be sure that you had milk for your morning coffee. They checked on elders regularly. They made sure they took their medicine. And most importantly, they just socialized with them. They just talked, had fun, laughed, cried together. The elders also had an outer circle of people who weren't their best friends, but whom they saw often and knew very well. The folks who they played a card game with every Wednesday night, who when they walked down the street would say, how's your niece? You know, those people who cared but weren't intimate. So here's what we know as a result of this research and actually a fair amount of other research about socializing. There are many benefits to socializing. 
Again, they're the flip side of loneliness. Number one, satisfactory levels, which is individual, right? Each person has needs a different amount of socializing, but satisfactory amounts of social interactions is satisfying, helps us to feel good about ourselves. We know that people are listening to us and we're listening to them. We're helping each other solve problems and enjoy celebrations. The end result of that is better emotional health. Just feeling good, just feeling okay in your social space. Interestingly enough though, just feeling good leads to other things. It reduces stress. People report that they're less anxious, less depressed. They like themselves better. People like me. I must be okay. And so they have a sense of of self-esteem that's improved. They have a sense of well-being. The world's okay. I've got problems, but I've got a world that cares about me. Number Number one, the positive effect is on emotional health. Number two is physical health. And I often talk about physical health as everything but the brain, because I'll get to the brain in a minute. But in terms of uh, when we feel emotionally healthy, when we, which is connected to socializing a lot, we produce healthy hormones. We produce hormones that encourage our uh, bodies to repair damaged cells, to produce new cells, the increases growth hormones. All this stuff is not just sort of incidental, not just feeling good. It's actually physically making us healthier. So we're less likely to be sick. And when we get sick, we're more likely to heal well or quickly or more quickly than somebody who isn't socially connected. You have to think about these things because they don't seem obvious to us without the research telling us about these things. If we are more likely to be healthy, we're also more likely to live longer. And sure looking at these blue zones with sure. 100-year-old people. There's another piece, and it's like a, it's like a, a cycle, like a wheel. When we are emotionally okay and when we're physically okay, we're more likely to do things to keep ourselves even more healthy. So when we're feeling good, we're more likely to exercise. We're more likely to see some benefit in our taking the time to exercise. We're more likely to find a friend to exercise with, so we socialize more. You see how it's a circle? We also eat better. That means we're not don't have our hands deeply in the um, in the corn chips while we're watching TV. We're more likely to pick healthy diets. We sleep better. Use less alcohol. Less likely to use drugs and smoke. In general, the whole quality of our life improves as a result of socializing. You know what what keeps coming through my mind, Cheryl, when you're saying this is that that we are created to be in in community we are not created to be isolated and and we see this in all kinds of ways throughout our entire life that may well be true um i guess i would as a social scientist i'd put it that way or i might say that in general what we know about people from observing them is that we seem to have a social need right Okay. Yeah, and this research in, in in I'm just using different words than you use. This research is showing us that our best lives are played out in social circumstances. Does that make sense? That Absolutely. We're going to be healthy. Yeah. We're going yeah. To be healthier. 
Yeah, I appreciate you bringing the academic part into that. <laughs> well, you know, you know, I'm going to go there. <laughs> but uh, let me make one more point about this because I think it's something that we don't um, talk about enough. When we socialize, we improve our brain health. We actually have less loss of memory. We think better. We make better judgments. Our we have less dementia. Statistically speaking, people who are socially active develop dementias less often and later in life. That's a statistic. It's not true for everybody. You know, we know social butterflies who unfortunately develop Alzheimer's disease 50. That's horrible, but it happens. But just when you look at the numbers, people who are physically, emotionally, and cognitively healthy have better brain health. Make some sense? And why? Well, because when we're being social, we're using our brains. We're talking about things. We're solving problems together. We're sharing memories. All of those things stimulate our brain. And when we stimulate our brain, when we use our brain, we have healthier brains, period. Makes sense. Right? Makes sense. So everything that Bruce and I have said so far is the point isolation leads to loneliness for many people. That isolation can be physical or it can be emotional. And that people like uh, Susan Pinker, Dr. Pinker, want us to live in blue zones. They want us to be healthy. They want us to be the community that isn't very ill and has long, healthy, happy lives. And that points us back to socializing. You asked me, you asked one other question, and I'm just going, I think it's a great place for us to wrap up, if you don't mind. Yeah, sounds good. Uh, And Bruce said these things. I just want to repeat very briefly. So what do you do if you are a caregiver, a care provider, if you're the child of adult parents, or maybe if you're the adult parents, what do you do? And I love the ideas that Bruce put out there. Number one, let's be investigators. Let's not be those people who when mama says, I'm okay, take it at its word. Let's let's really notice how mama's doing. Uh, Is good she isolated? Is she showing signs that may indicate there's a problem that we might not have noticed if we're not, if we don't play detective? Right, right. Number two, find out what's available in your community or online. What are the kinds of things that are available and match the natural tendency, the lifelong interest, perhaps, or maybe new activities that look appealing for mom or dad? In other words, get an arsenal ready, not to make mama or dad do it. Certainly not that. But before you have a conversation, before you even approach the conversation, know that you have something to offer. Have you be able to say, have you thought about the community center? Have you thought about the the art center? So first, we're going to be detectives. Second, we're going to gather some information. ACAP podcasts and presentations are good sources, but there's lots online. I'll tell you that I I have collected hundreds of resources during the pandemic for ways for folks to stay socially engaged, even if they're not going physically face-to-face with people. Yeah, yeah. And then have the conversation. And um, I will end with this thought. When my daughter, who's now not five years old, but when she was five years old, she liked to say to me when I asked her to do something, you're not the boss of me. (laughs) And so I have created the Dr. Greenberg, you're not the boss of me theory. And that is 
that little kids need to know perhaps that you, you really do know more than them and you are a little bit the boss of them. But we are not the boss of our parents. And Bruce alluded to this in less, uh, in less silly language than I'm using. But we need to respect that we notice what our folks need but as we assess that, we figure out how much of the decision they can still make on their own. We have to be in the gentle place, in my opinion, of only um, assisting in ways that our parents need and can receive. Remember I said we were overprotective sometimes? Right. We can't just tell mama she needs to go to choir if she doesn't want to go to the choir. <laughs> right. But we yeah. do have a tendency, I think, sometimes to be um, to be a bit assertive. So here are some suggestions. First of all, start out by saying, "Here's what I'm noticing, Mom. I'm noticing you seem a little bit uncomfortable. I'm seeing you. You seem like maybe you're bored. I've noticed you've been watching a lot of TV. How's that feel to you? Are you, um, Aunt Molly? I know you love to sing, but you don't seem to want to join the retirement community choir. Are you uncomfortable?" How can I help you with this? Uh, Dad, I've noticed you're watching a lot of TV recently and haven't been talking much about friends. Have you been out of touch with your friends? How are you feeling about that? How can I help you with that? Folks, I know you'd like to be more active. Uh, I've been doing some research and I found some volunteer programs for you or whatever else you have found, (coughs) excuse me, that might be right up your alley. Why don't I tell you about them? So we're going to play detective. We're going to have some resources to share. We're also going to have conversations that show our caring, but also listen carefully to our loved ones. For me, that's the best way to approach um, helping with this issue of potential loneliness and potential really good socializing. Those are some beautiful suggestions, Cheryl. You know, and what comes to my mind is that whole um, that whole arena that I think is typically called person-centered care, and and it's really focusing on who is the person, what makes what what makes their life meaningful, and being able to hear that. And not making assumptions, helping them, giving them the platform um, and, and, and calling forth, beckoning, um, helping them articulate what, what they really want and, and who they are and what makes their life good. Um, so th- this has been excellent information from both of you. Um, is there anything, sort of a last minute, Cheryl or Bruce, that we haven't covered that you think just needs just a statement about? Is there anything? Because this is such important stuff. I think we're good. I think this is a learning process. And I would encourage people to reach out to get more information and to talk to professionals if you don't know how to have the conversation or you have concerns about a loved one's level of isolation or loneliness, sometimes we don't do it on our own. Sometimes we go to the professionals for some support. Yeah. Good. And there, there really are um, the many, many resources available on the internet to help us 
with creative ideas, uh, with assessment tools, with programs, um, just to name a few very quickly, in, um, Area Agency on Aging is a great resource. It's, it touches every, um, you know, everywhere we are, uh, there's an Area agent, Agency on Aging. Um, elder Care Locator, um, Connect to Effect, which is an AARP program, uh, SeniorPlanet.org. So do some, do some online searching. There's plenty, plenty of resources to help, help guide us and give us good ideas. And that's uh, one, of the, one of the good or maybe one of the only good things that has come from COVID is just that we have so many more resources online now and that we know how to access them. Cheryl and Bruce, thank you so much for all this great information. Help, thank you for helping us understand why helping our older loved ones stay involved and engaged is so important and for the great tips, thank, for the great insight and tips. Thank you for those of you who are listening to this podcast. We hope the information has been helpful to you relative to your loved ones, but also as you think about your own life as your age. And if you know of others you believe would, be, would benefit from this podcast, please do share it with them. Before we end, we also want to thank Pace at Home in Hickory, North Carolina, our sponsor for this and all of our ACAP podcasts. We are indeed grateful for their support. This program is part of the net of the mesh network of online shows and podcasts. You may find more caregiver community podcasts on any of the platforms where you listen to podcasts, as well as our website, www.acapcommunity.org. While you're on our site, we hope you will take a few minutes to learn more about ACAP, our educational programs, and our local chapters. And if there are other topics you'd like for us to address as a podcast, please do let us know. As we say so often in ACAP, regardless of our background, our education, our career, or anything else, when it's our mother, our father, our loved one who needs help, caring for and advocating for that person or those people become very personal and extremely important. So please care well for your loved ones, but also remember to take care of you. Stay well. Bye for now. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.